The Start On Demand. On demand. Would you be willing to consider a dry January to go booze-free to start 2019? We'll speak to an expert who says the benefits are plentiful. Also, Netflix fatigue. Is there too much content available at our fingertips? Speaking of Netflix, I fell down the rabbit hole with their latest buzzworthy project, Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Last year they went to Helsinki, this year they're going to Regina. I'm Brett McGarry, and alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the first podcast of 2019 for the start. I need some leafy greens <laughs> stat. Yeah. I have had so many nachos and so many pieces of pizza in the last week or so. My guts are just rotten. Can we get it on the IV drip for you? Just right here, right now? Romaine lettuce. Just hook it to my veins. Remember when we talked about when the romaine lettuce was being um, recalled? And we talked about boiling vegetables. And maybe we should just make, like I could come in with a shake every morning. Mm -hmm. That's made with kale. I think that's a really good idea. You can drink it. I ain't drinking it. Hey, well, you're not eating fast food for the next two months. No, I'm not. I think the next logical step is a kale shake. Let's go from no cheeseburgers to drinking (laughs) kale. No. Is that, so that's what you're that's doing? That's a hard no. You're doing the no fast food challenge. Yeah, 60 days, man. Straight through to the end of uh, February. Why so, 60? That's a nice round number. Mm-hmm. I'm turning 60 this year, so it's perfect. That's a lie. <laughs> I just about was like, what? How did I miss your 50th? Have yeah. I been here 10 years? Went yeah. really quick. Yeah. <laughs> How long were you asleep? <laughs> Um, so, so let's just talk about that for a second. Now, you're doing this. Uh, is this a New Year's resolution then? For I you? don't like New Year's resolutions, but you know what? Much like you, Brett, uh, it's been a steady stream of cheese con queso, uh, chicken wings, chips and dip for the last two weeks. I enjoy all those things, but I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I looked at myself in the mirror <laughs> yesterday morning. And I thought, okay, this is not the way to start uh, 2019. So is it a resolution? I suppose. It's just more of a commitment to myself. How often do you find yourself stopping for fast food? Oh, Jackie's still sleeping, right? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> four times a week, wow. I would say. Yeah, for sure. Just because of our unusual shift. What do you consider, fa- like, are you talking just the burger fries yes. type thing? Okay, yes. because so, right. I often stop for, I would call it fast food, but it still might be like a stir fry or salad. Yeah, or, see, I, wouldn't, you know, I, like- I, I, I won't count that. Okay. Uh, but I would say this, that uh, far too often, based on this shift, at 1 o'clock, one thirty in the afternoon, I am in no man's land. I'm between running errands and picking up my kids from school at 3 o'clock. There's no sense in going home. And so I find myself either getting some time to myself, just sitting down and having something to eat, comfort food. But it's like supper time for us yep. at that time of the day. So I've really got to work on that this year in terms of planning out my food a little bit better so I have something to bring. And if I have that time to myself, I can sit in the car or or be dedicated to getting home for 45 minutes and just having that time to myself at home and having a good square meal. So that's the plan, Stan. Where do you stop and get stir fry for for like a, on, as a pit stop? <laughs> yeah, Mongo's. I is it Mongo's? Oh, Mongo's so you so were talking good. about that a few months ago, or like now that we're closer to the food court at Polo Park, where mm. I am, I'm not used to having that access to the food. So there's been a few times where I run over and had like a 10 a.m. 
Manchu walk or whatever yeah, it is. That's a good call. And a Mongo's all stop and get it. But then what happens is that I eat like a big lunch and then you go home and make a good supper for the kids and then you eat that one and mm-hmm. then you find yourself like ingesting way more. So but my my for me, I'm like I'm I don't do New Year's resolutions or I if I have I don't do them well. But I am going to attempt and we'll talk about this later, a dry January. The dry January, and that is indeed the question of the day at cjob.com, which is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Would you consider having a dry January, i.e. going booze-free to start 2019? And your options are, yes, I need to detox, or... No! Stay away from my drink. So you can go to cjob.com and weigh in on that. We've also put polls up on the 680CJOB Instagram, where we would love to f- you to follow us there, as well as on the CJOB Twitter and Facebook pages. You can weigh in on that all across the platform. The dry January, It's and one of my buddies just said it to me yesterday out of the blue, like, I need to, I need to go booze-free for a month, because his guts were also mm-hmm. rotten. And uh, I could probably use that because uh, we were joking last week, Loren, about the, the pain in our sides. And we were wondering if that was our swollen livers. Yeah, and, which I didn't uh, know was a thing. And then you it said it's very much a thing. And it's then I a felt, thing? Yes. And then, oh. I, yeah, you could actually feel a little bit of like acute, like just temporary um, pain in your like liver, pancre- pancreas area. Because mm-hmm. it's just trying to like. Oh, my word. And uh, after Brett said that, I was like, yeah, no, I think I. And it's just because of the, the days and days of, you know, you have a Christmas party, then you go to one friend's house and you go to, and I'm not saying every night is like a crazy inebriation night. It's just, it, it's just, you're having a drink every single day. It feels like. I must like. have missed that show. What day did you talk about that? Because uh, there was one day last week I slept until 11 a.m. Mm, nice. Oh, how did that feel? Oh, my word. <laughs> it's like winning the lottery. Yeah. I woke up, I felt slightly guilty, but that passed after about 60 seconds. Yeah. That felt so good. Yeah, you got to oh, have at least nice. one of those it days. It was right after Christmas, so because I came back the 27th, and oh, so you had just, I had just had my five days of you know, with friends, family, Revelry. and all the rest. Yeah, so quite frankly, I think it's more about, like, I don't need to go cold turkey. I just need to stop and stop with the daily glass here and there, right? Yeah, and it's, I think that's pretty much par for the course for so many of us. The holidays are a fun time where we make rather merry, as I think it's pointed out in the movie A Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim. I was making rather merry last <laughs> night. but uh, So yeah, we've been making rather merry and it's time to buckle down. I, I too, Greg, I'm not into the New Year's resolutions for the sake of it because mm-hmm. it's a new year. Right. I did get a gym membership a couple of weeks ago. Did you? Yeah, I went over to the Planet good, Fitness. Good job, buddy. Uh, they were there. You can. They're getting ready to open their shop over on Empress on uh, the seventeenth. I think is the projected date they're looking at. And we talked to Planet Fitness, and they've got this cool culture where it's like a judgment-free zone. It's meant to be a friendlier place to work or less intimidating place to work out if you don't want to work out around a bunch of bodybuilders. There's nothing wrong with the heavy fitness people, but if you're intimidated by that, you know, you haven't been to a gym for years and you just want to 
uh, place to go, and it was cheap. It was like mm-hmm. twenty bucks. Wow, you could, I, you could go as low as ten dollars a month. Well, I was uh, obsessed with this idea that Peloton bike. I'm sure you saw it yes. advertised we all over Christmas. Our whole family, as we went through this like overeating thing at Christmas, next thing you know, we're all talking about this bike, and could we afford to get this <laughs> new bike that we could all like start working out with better? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think I would have to buy one and then in, invite and charge my yeah, neighbors like to 2, use it. Twenty six hundred bucks. Yeah, three yeah. grand by the time you get the shoes and all the uh, accoutrements uh, that you need in order to use it successfully. So that dream quickly went out the window. A private indoor cycling studio in your home. Mm-hmm. Just at Peloton, onepeloton.ca. Yeah, that looks fancy. Wow, it's got a screen on it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> so you can take these courses and they have these instructors. And so it's a virtual course It'd be or like class that with you take. other people, like if you're Correct. a gamer, but you're going to exercise while you do that's it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And the, you get feedback from the instructor and everything. It, it's supposed to be fantastic. And people who use it are actually like getting super fit very quickly if you're, if you're committed to getting on it every single day. Yeah, for far too many people. Yeah, I bought the Peloton. Are you using yeah. the Peloton? I mean, I don't. I, I have an elliptical in my basement that just sits there, like gathering dust. It should good get, for drying it, clothes it's on. Useless, and so I know I'd get that bike, and kids would play on it, and that would be about it. Three yeah. grand later. Well, and that's another thing too. When you buy the expensive fitness equipment, and I know we got to get out in a moment here, but uh, they break easily, and then it's a pain to get them fixed. I couldn't believe it only had a one-year warranty. That really for turned me off. For three grand? Yeah, no. I, stopped, I stopped investigating it any further, because I was semi-serious about it until I until genuinely, until I saw that one-year warranty, and I went, forget it. Yeah. You can charge me that kind of money. You know, you can at least back it up for five years. A year? Pfft, get lost. Of course, they probably have some sort of extended warranty. Just make it good yeah. in the first place. That's right. I don't want your stupid extended warranty. <laughs> <laughs> Question of the day at cjob.com. It has to do with a dry January. Would you consider having a dry January, i.e. going booze-free to start 2019. That's the question of the day at cjob.com, and it's brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. McNabb, why is that our question of the day? Well, it's actually a trend that's really taken off since 2013. It started in Britain, I think, and then it was kind of this thing people did just to say they did it, and now it's actually a a resolution that people sign on for year after year, which is to go booze-free for the next 30 days. I'm going to give that a shot. And it got us talking and deciding to see what we could learn from that. And is this a good idea or a bad idea? Dr. Aaron White is with the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism in the United States and says a dry January really just begins with taking a look at what kind of relationship we have with alcohol this time of year. This is the time of year where we all tend to overindulge, whether it's food or uh, TV or alcohol. Um, it's just part of how many of us celebrate, and it's also more accessible. So it's easier to, you know, to, to get a hold of a drink or some food. Um, in the United States, as I'm sure it is in Canada at this time of year, uh, is when we see a spike in emergency department visits for alcohol. Uh, there are more deaths related to alcohol this time of year than any other time of year. Um, and so it's important that we, if we're going to overindulge, uh, we we have a plan in place and, and try to do it safely because uh, it certainly can be dangerous. So many of us like to think that we don't have an issue, but when do we fall into the category of, of being a binge drinker? You know, in general, a binge means drinking a lot of alcohol in a relatively short period of time. 
Um, here in the U.S., we measure that as uh, crossing a threshold of four or five drinks, four for a woman or five for a man. We know that statistically at those levels, the risk of harm goes up. Um, those levels also produce blood alcohol levels that can uh, significantly impair driving and increase the risk of crashes. So a binge really is, uh, is essentially just drinking a lot of alcohol in a, in a relatively short period of time. So when it comes to the holidays where people, uh, like let's say, for example, if you already overindulge, like you're, you're a person who drinks more than they should to begin with, and then they go into the holidays, are they likely to way overindulge? Oh, yeah, this is a tricky time. Uh, people who don't often drink a lot sometimes drink a lot during the holidays. Those who already drink a lot can uh, accelerate their drinking this time of year. I mean, it gives us a green light to do so. Uh, it's accepted, um, so it's easy to slide into a heavier drinking pattern. And we also have to remember that in the U.S., uh, you know, probably in Canada, there are similar statistics about uh, one in 10 people are wrestling with an alcohol use disorder of some degree uh, in any given time. And this is a time of year where they're going to be exposed to more uh, alcohol-related cues. They're going to see more alcohol, smell more alcohol. And that can really lead to temptation to slide back into uh, heavy drinking patterns uh, for those who are in recovery. So this is a, it's a difficult period of time to navigate uh, with regard to alcohol. And uh, um, like I said, it's important to just sort of have a plan in place, whatever your relationship with alcohol is, so that you don't, um, uh, that you don't put yourself and other people at risk. It's, I think, why you also have this growing movement. And I certainly didn't hear a lot about this a few years ago. I think, uh, you know, within the last five years, it's really taken off that one of the bigger New Year's resolutions becomes this concept of a dry January. And I, mm -hmm. it had us kind of wondering, it, it, is this trendy or can it prove to be successful in, you know, changing your habits or your health? Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. This is a fascinating um, phenomenon, and I think it is trendy in that it is catching on. Um, you know, we get uh, an increasing number of calls about uh, taking a one-month break from alcohol. Sometimes it's called dry January. There's also uh, sober September. But the concept is just taking a break from alcohol to look at your relationship with it and decide uh, what you want that relationship ultimately to be. And until a few years ago, there were no data to tell us whether taking a month break was of any real value. But in the last couple of years, there have been you know, three or four or five studies that have been done that have actually demonstrated there are some pretty significant health benefits to taking a break, even if your relationship with alcohol isn't a problem. Uh, even if you're drinking uh, in what would be considered a moderate um, way, Taking a break, uh, people tend to just feel better. They have more energy. They get better sleep. Uh, even people who are moderate drinkers, their liver health improves. Um, you know, even a couple of drinks a day can tax the liver. And so there really do seem to be some benefits. And from our standpoint at uh, our institute, you know, we think that, that those periods of time are great opportunities to just reflect on why you're drinking, what it's doing for you. Um, how you might get those needs met in other ways without the alcohol. And then after a month or so, if you want to go back to drinking, at least now you have a better sense of uh, the role that alcohol plays in your life. Taking a month off, though, it's kind of like the equivalent of a diet, but most dietitians or most fitness experts will try to tell you, don't just pull the pin and, and try to wipe it all out at once. 
because you'll, you could just backslide. So is there a, a danger in just getting rid of alcohol altogether? That is a, a great question. And yes, there can be in two ways. One way is that uh, alcohol is the only drug withdrawal that I know of that can kill you. And it, and it often does. Um, abruptly stopping drinking, if you're a heavy drinker, will throw you into potentially dangerous and even deadly withdrawal. So you get insomnia and anxiety and restlessness and maybe even seizures um, and death. And so if, if you're a heavy drinker and you've been drinking for a long time, um, you've got to be careful doing this. And it's best to do it under the supervision of a doctor uh, who can give you medication and just sort of be aware that you're, you're attempting this. Um, in addition to that, there is a, a phenomenon called the deprivation effect where if we deprive ourselves of something, when we go back to it, uh, we have a tendency to overdo it. Um, so I myself have gone on diets, and uh, after I give up after a couple weeks, I then treat myself uh, you know, with a whole pizza or something. So I overdo my calorie intake when I go back to my regular eating habits. The same thing can happen with alcohol. Uh, we don't know how many people do that, but there is a risk that you could uh, end up deciding to celebrate your one month of sobriety by overdoing your intake. Uh, and that's dangerous in part because you've lost some tolerance by staying sober. Um, and so you're exactly right. You've got to be cautious about this uh, and just make smart decisions about how you go about doing it. So that was Dr. Aaron White with the U.S. Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. We're going to talk more about this later in the show. He actually had this crazy stat about Women and the amount of alcohol women are now consuming and the whole mummy juice thing and the memes going around about three o'clock wines and, and all the rest. So, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, I think uh, wine and alcohol has become as prevalent uh, in our culture now as it's ever been. And But it's a little bit more subdued, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's more and it's not underground as much as it was. It's very much in the open. It's in, in the kitchen. It's on the patio. It's around the pool. It's in all our TV shows. I was thinking about I was watching some episodes of Friends and how you didn't always you barely saw them sitting around having like they talked about it for sure. And now all your modern day sitcoms or whatever, someone's always having a glass of wine somewhere. Well, of course. Courtney Cox and friends very seldom indulged, and then Courtney Cox in Cougar Town. Yeah, she had, had the, the world's uh, largest, but what big big Earl or Big Joe? There's Big, big Joe. Carl. Big Carl. Carl. I think yeah, there was a third one yeah, too. Huge yeah, huge glass of wine for it. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing to, I don't know, just maybe take a good look and at, hard look in the mirror at yourself. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, or with one could, eye closed, or you could just <laughs> pound some grape. You can just go home and pound some grape, as it were. Pound is like actual grapes? No, just uh, that's what Courtney Cox used to oh. say. Time to pound some grape. I thought you were telling me, like, why, you just, about it. why you just eat some grapes? I was like, because it's not the same thing, bro. <laughs> terrible advice. We want to start this half hour with something that Netflix did on Friday. They released their latest buzzy project, It's a movie-length episode of Black Mirror, and I'll explain what Black Mirror is in a moment. The movie is called Bandersnatch. Keep having these vivid dreams, like thinking weird things. What sorts of things? We're going to be a hit factory, like Motel, but for computer games. You heard it here first. Bandersnatch. It's an adventure game based on the book. Jerome F. Davies was a genius. See that bloke who went cuckoo and cut his wife's head off? 
when it's a concert piece. Bit of madness is what you need. So first, what's Black Mirror, if you've never heard of Black Mirror? It's a British anthology science fiction series. First ran in 2011 for a couple of seasons. Netflix later picked it up and has since run its own two seasons over the last couple of years. It's like a modern-day Twilight Zone, described as a show about techno-paranoia. It examines modern technology, possible future technology, and our relationship with that tech. And from what I've seen from it so far, it's not too science fiction-y. For example, after I watched Bandersnatched, I watched the third episode from the first season called The Entire History of You. And this is a world in this story where all of our memories are captured in this tiny computer chip in our neck called a grain. Through that chip, we can revisit any memory from our life at any time we want and watch it again. Neat technology, but it tells the story of a couple that's having some problems in their relationship, and it shows how that technology, when combined with our human nature, can have devastating effects. Like, yeah, imagine- like revisiting a memory. Like, sometimes it's it's good because if you're having a fight, you're like, aha! If you could hit play on that moment, you'd be like, I told you so, but then... You, are you going to be hurt over and over again if you can re- replay that memory? It's interesting. Yeah, and they like what they can do is uh, they carry this little knob, this little like remote control or whatever, where they can either hit play and it just sort of they see it through their own eyes, mm-hmm. but they can also throw it up onto a TV. And They've got it. these screens all over the place, and that's exactly what they do. They have those aha moments, yeah. and I thought. I kind of see where this is going, but wow, it really blew my mind in the way that uh, it went down the, the rabbit hole there. So Bandersnatch, set in 1984, about a young video game programmer. He's trying to create this choose-your-own-adventure game based on a choose-your-own-adventure book called Bandersnatch. And he soon begins to question his reality as the story unfolds. But what's cool about this is that it's a choose-your-own-adventure movie where you get to interact with it. Super neat. First adult-oriented piece of this kind of entertainment. They've done this sort of stuff before on Netflix for kids with cartoons already, but never for adults. Now, first, how can you watch it? I usually watch Netflix on my Blu-ray player. How do you watch Netflix, Greg? Yeah, I have a smart TV, so just through the TV. McNabb? TV, and often just on my tablet or phone. Yeah, so, I mean, I I, I have it on a Blu-ray player. It's an old Blu-ray player, probably seven years old now, but it came preloaded with a Netflix app. It's slow, but it, once it gets going, it works fine. So I pulled up Bandersnatch and was immediately met with a compilation video of various scenes through the Black Mirror series of people saying, sorry, followed by a narration and message from Netflix saying, the interactive features won't work with my device because it's too uh. old. But it should work on modern smart TVs. I imagine if you have Blue, uh, Shaw Blue Sky TV, which has Netflix built in, that should work. If you're on a computer, it's going to work. Your tablet. Or you can do as I did. I just watched it on my phone. And I did it, McNabb, as you suggested. I watched it on my phone while my girlfriend sat on the other side of the couch and watched it on her phone to see where our choices took us. Oh, dating's so different now. Yeah, right, because McNabb suggested <laughs> it, it could create an argument. Yeah, well, sure. I was just curious if you were both, if you were watching it together, you'd have a hard time because you're not going to agree where to take the story ever. Good point. Yeah. And the choices start off fairly mundane. The first choice is which breakfast cereal do you want? Sugar puffs or Frosties, as they call it over there. That's Frosted Flakes. So when presented That's with, easy. Yeah, well, which I went with Frosties. <laughs> Frosties, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so when presented with a choice, the bottom third of the screen blacks out as the scene progresses, and you're given two choices, one on the left, one on the right. You have 10 seconds to pick one. If you don't pick one, Netflix will do it for you. Later on, you get a choice of what music to listen to. He pulls out two cassette tapes. He's got the Thompson Twins in his left hand or a compilation tape, Now Music, in his right. 
So I picked Now Music. The first song to be played was the Eurythmics. Choices get wilder as you move along, varying from back off to kill dad. Nice. <laughs> There's even one point where you can more or less interact directly with the character, and it eventually, if you go that way, it does lead to a rather hilarious action sequence. What do you mean? Like what, interact directly, like they. There's a there's a moment there's a point in the story where he's he's freaking out and he feels like he's not in control of his actions. Okay. And he says, "Someone give me a sign." So then your choice is either this this like this glyph kind of symbol, oh. or it says Netflix. So then if you pick Netflix, his his computer screen blacks out and it pops up with, "I am watching you through Netflix." <laughs> Whoa. And he says, well, what's Netflix? And you say, oh, right, because it's, it's 1984. Right. Yeah. So he says, it's a streaming service uh, like television. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't get streaming? it. Yeah. So is it break down, what do they call it, the fourth wall? Or yeah. They break down the fourth wall? It, is, is that basically what it does? Hard. Yeah. They definitely break the fourth wall there. It's very meta. So uh, sometimes your choices will be the wrong ones that lead to abrupt endings to the story. Like I made a choice fairly early on and it, the story just ended and I, it, it backed up and started again. Which is how it worked in choose your own adventure books sometimes, right? Like you'd make a choice and it would be like the, the story is done. Yeah. Like you're dead or your wrong choice or. Yeah. And then you get a chance to redo it. Right. Eventually it'll, it'll finally say the story will officially end. The credits will roll. Takes about 90 minutes to get to that point. Although there are apparently some permutations where it could take up to two and a half hours to finish. There are 312 minutes of total content to discover in this Bandersnatch thing. And apparently a trillion permutations. And I know in some of the conversations and the interviews about this, they're talking about the idea that there'll be some footage that never get seen by anyone. Yeah. And you have to be kind of comfortable with the fact that, A, you may not be able to unearth it. Mm -hmm. But if you're creating this, how are you going... Why okay, is we're going to do this. this <laughs> I wrote yeah. this great scene that right. nobody is watching right now. That would, that, that would be, uh, I wonder how they're tracking that. Yeah. It would yeah. be interesting to see if they've got some sort of master control to see which, you know, permutation is, is, is most popular. Ultimately, it was a really cool experience, although I felt like the story was a little lacking. So I tried again. And I had read that if you do nothing, like I said, if you don't make a choice, Netflix will do it for you. And if you just want to watch it as an episode of TV, hmm. I'd read that you can. So each time a choice came up, I just backed off and let Netflix follow its default path. When it got to the music choice, it picked the Thompson Twins, whereas I had picked Now. And what was neat about that is the soundtrack changed throughout the movie. So there were scenes where there was one 80s song, suddenly there was a different hmm. 80 song based on that first choice but eventually it just stopped working for me like I had to watch the same 8 minute scene 3 times in a row because it kept picking the same path it mm. wasn't remembering what happened so then finally on the third viewing I went in and made a choice a different choice to go down a different path which ended and then it brought me back to the beginning of that same oh, scene again annoying. so I gave up yeah. so I would not recommend I, if you're going to watch it play be it. prepared to play it uh, dangerous piece of entertainment for me because I can get fairly obsessive with this kind no. of stuff and I want to explore more so, I want to <laughs> find all 312 minutes did what happened with you and your girlfriend did she like did you end up with different like at the end of the day you had? Did she have two different conclusions? We did end up going down a completely different path, uh, and hers was over before mine was because I eventually ended up where she was, but I had to take sort of a longer route mm -hmm. to get there. And uh, to be quite honest, I can't even remember how it, it ultimately it ended ends, for yeah. me. 
so, yeah, I think I'd rate the overall experience for couch cushions out of five. It's innovative, ambitious, massive in its scope, worth checking out if you're looking for a different kind of entertainment experience, especially if you're looking to, to do something like I did, do, do it as a couple or with your friend or whatever. Well, I remember when the biggest complaint about Netflix technology was whether or not you could skip the opening credits yeah. versus having to watch it over and over again when you were binging. And of course they fixed that, I guess last year sometimes yeah. uh, that you could uh, just skip into the, into mm-hmm. the main well, some of those, that's episode, because some right? of those shows opening, like I used to watch house of cards. Oh yeah. Ugh, it's like two minutes later. Going like on and on, on and on. Yeah. And when you live in a house with uh, kids that are obsessed with full house and fuller house, you don't need to hear that, that is a godsend. Let me tell you that. <laughs> you didn't want to hear <laughs> dry and January. Well, having to listen to that theme song over and over might want to make you turn to the mommy juice. Right now, McNabb, we're going to talk to an attempt at a world record. Yeah, as we speak, I believe, or within minutes, they'll be back at work out near St. Adolphe where walls of ice and snow are going up to form a snow maze where there normally is a corn maze in the summer and fall. And to explain how it's coming along and when it will open, we're joined by Amazing Corn's co-owner, Clint Moss. Good morning, Clint. Good morning, so how's it coming along? How close are we to opening? Well, you know what? Ironically, we would have finished the building part of the maze piece yesterday, but hey, building with snow has always its complications. And the tractor decided that, you know what? It was too cold for us to run yesterday. So it took us a long time to get going, but we're 98% done. Wow, wow, wow. I was just saying to Brett off the air, it's too bad you couldn't have been finished yesterday with the kids off school and this incredible forecast. You would have been busy for the next three days for sure. Can we make reservations to be there on Saturday? Yep, you bet. Saturday is uh, opening day. I mean, we've got the the snow maze pieces done. We're now into primping the property because we've never been open in the winter. Um, We do have a warm-up space, which is familiar to people as the pumpkin barn. So we've got that going as our warm-up space. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big endeavor to get ready for winter activities at Amazing Corn. Now, Clint, with this forecast that we've been, uh, you know, celebrating this morning, it's great for those who don't like the deep cold. But when we're talking about plus temperatures for a couple of days, how does that bold for what you're doing out there? Well, of course, we're so far from experts at building snow maze and how much snow we needed. So we have this snow mountain for the kids ready. Well, we've robbed half of it or over half of it to use to finish the snow maze. And we had scheduled that Monday we're going to have this. We're going to rent the generator. And it's a really big, really expensive generator because we need to do one more week of snowmaking. And then we looked at Mother Nature and Mother Nature says, no, this week is not a snowmaking week. Because you need it to be a little bit of both? Like what, what, what's the perfect snowmaking temperature? Well, Minimum is like you want to hang around that minus 12. That's when our snow gun can be like putting out maximum snow. But at, you have to shut the thing down at like minus three or minus four. Like you can't make snow. So, wow. I mean, most what the Saturday is going to be awesome to enjoy the, um, the snow maze because it's going to be so incredibly warm. It's just we're going to have to make some modifications to our snow mountain for the kids to just to play on. You know, it kind of replaces that bale pyramid thing we have going. But is the maze, is there any danger of the maze melting away? No, no. That, you know, what's interesting is it's man-made snow, so it's much more dense than, you know, Mother Nature snow. And on top of that, we snow blow it twice. 
to condense it even further. And then we put it in these ice blocks and those, that rainy day we had about 10 days ago, uh, you know, hardly could notice the difference in those snow walls. They're just like blocks of ice. So tell a more. Sorry about that, Clint. I was going to say, what's the size that we're talking about here? Like how, how much snow went into it and how many feet long is the sort of winding path? Well, we've got 4,200 feet of snow wall that we've built. And, um, and I think just a guesstimate, we have about 300 truckloads of snow. And we're just doing that based on the calculation of how much that snow gun puts out and for how long we've had it running and how much of the snow we've used. So, Clint, how do we qualify or how do you qualify this as a Guinness Book of World Record setting maze? What sort of things do you have to do to qualify for this and have it verified? Well, first of all, we had to register and we had to fast track register because, you know, back when we decided to pull this off in late November, they said, yeah, we'll get back to you in March. (laughs) Well, sorry, that's not going to work. So we had to pay the $700 fast track fee and they, they, you know, they received our application and says, yeah, you're good to go. And then when we get to the 5th of, we had to nominate a, a measuring day and we, I think, did around that 5th of February. And the difference between the two is you have to um, you can you can pay money to have them come out, which fly out from, I guess, the Guinness World. I don't know. Or you can have a notary from, you know, people and send all your documentation and and either are acceptable. So what is the current record? The current record is actually standing in Thunder Bay. And I think it's 18,000 square feet of snow maze. And we're actually building it to be bigger than there's a huge one in Poland right now and they're about 27,000 square feet and we're going bigger than that but I don't want to say on air in case they're listening to CJOB and they go and one up us at the last minute. We do get a lot of listeners from over there so best to play it safe. <laughs> I think that's a good call. Very good call. Clint. So then what's uh, so how many people can be in the maze at any given time? Okay that's a question I haven't had and someone actually said on Facebook hey, why don't you try for the most people in a snow maze ever? So imagine you could put a 1,000 people in that maze. I would have to think it's there's, you know, over a kilometer of trail for sure. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And again, you're, you're opening on Saturday? Yeah, you bet. 11 a.m. on Saturday. How does one find Amazing Snow? <laughs> amazing Snow or It's Snow Amazing, I think, is what our moniker is going to be. And it is just 10 minutes south of St. Mary's Road, or sorry, it's 10 minutes south of the perimeter highway on St. Mary's Road. And you'll see the zip line towers. You'll see our amazing corn sign. Just hang a left and you're in our parking lot. All right. Clint Moss from Amazing Corn and now Amazing Snow. Snow Amazing. Clint, thank you very much for the time and uh, looking forward to seeing how this all turns out. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. This is just another wonderful winter adventure in Winnipeg and the southern Manitoba region. No big deal. I should give Clint my (laughs) leftover business cards from when I used to go to the southern United States. Me and my buddy John and my brother Kevin, we had these business cards made up. Snow place like home, igloo repair and construction. And we used to hand these out at football games and stuff and people totally bought that that's what we did. That's great. Well, Keep no, those snow puns coming, by the way. Thank you. I loved all that. Yeah, McNabb loves all the puns. And uh, they, it should take about 45 minutes to an hour to make it through this maze. So, yeah, I love, I love going out to a maze in corn. Didn't make it out this year and was very sad about that. So I think I'll have to check out a maze in snow.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on 680 CJOB. We referenced the tweet before Sports with Kelly Moore. The tweet reads, The Winnipeg Jets call upon a 38-year-old full-time sanitation worker for draft advice. The remarkable story of Dan Schrader. And that tweet from at Schlossman GF, Brad E. Schlossman. He joins us now live on 680 CJOB from the Grand Forks Herald. Brad, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, guys. Great to have you aboard, Brad. We've been chatting off and on for six or seven years now, you and I, mostly yeah. on the on the hockey front and, and pure hockey stories and the, the change of the UND name from Fighting Sue to Fighting Hawks eventually. And now this connection between UND and the Winnipeg Jets that's been uh, started with Tucker Poolman and his involvement in the Winnipeg Jets. And now this story that you wrote about Dan Schrader. First of all, the reaction to this story on Twitter has been, I suspect, overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I knew that the reaction would be uh, pretty good. Uh, I didn't know it would be what it was. Uh, when I woke up yesterday, I uh, flipped on our uh, online traffic tracker that we can watch to see how many people are coming to their website. And I saw how many people were coming to that story. And I was like, uh... <laughs> This is uh, going nuts already. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty crazy. And of course, the the funny part is is uh, Dan, who the story's about. I'm sure we'll get into this, but uh, he was working all day, so he was he wasn't. Uh, maybe he was a little bit aware of what was going on, but. <laughs> Um, it's kind of funny. Well, tell us about Dan, because I think as his shift starts around five in the morning or five 30 AM. So he's up and at him today and he's driving a garbage truck. That's what he does. Yeah. So he, um, he's up by four 45 every day, every day. He's working by five 30 in the morning, uh, all morning and afternoon, depending on, situations he's driving a garbage truck he's making you know hundreds of stops uh every day uh, if people call in and you know can't do their route that day then he'll pick up uh other people's routes and uh then usually it, if everything is ideal he can get done with his route around 2 30 in the afternoon and then he he also helps manage the fleet so he'll start setting up uh uh, going through uh, managerial stuff for the next day uh, before he goes home. But yesterday, I I don't think uh, based on it, I got a text from him at about 5.15 p.m. Uh, I think that's when he was finally uh, getting done with, with driving yesterday. So th- this individual, Dan Schrader, never played professional hockey. He doesn't no. have an extensive on-ice background, yet he's become... And a very important yeah. scout for the Winnipeg Jets. And, of course, draft and develop is a motto that a lot of people will hear from a lot of different uh, franchises in the National Hockey League. Very important here in Winnipeg uh, for one of the reasons that you pointed out in your article, the fact that Winnipeg not likely to attract a lot of big-name free agents, although winning might solve that. No less than seven yeah. of their own first-round draft choices in the lineup on any given night. This is an incredible story on its own about how Dan Schrader became a scout. Tell us the story. Yeah, yeah. not only did he not play professional hockey, he never played organized hockey, <laughs> period. Uh, he grew up, he was a, a basketball fan, a, ba- a basketball player, 
He uh, was born in Detroit. He moved to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul area when he was in elementary school. And he just became a hockey fan. Um, he, he started following prospects. And I think he, he really pinpointed the 2011 draft as being uh, a big time. But leading up to it, he had started a blog. And he just kind of wrote little profiles about guys that the Wild could draft. He wasn't scouting them or anything like that. He was just kind of giving background on these guys. Uh, and then all of a sudden... Uh, he went to the draft and he saw some names start coming off the board throughout the draft and some of them were Minnesota kids and some more kids he had never heard of. And that even piqued his interest even more. And he decided, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to start looking into this next year. And he started going to all these different games and um, writing reports on guys. And he started seeing people at the rinks. And one of the connections he made was to a guy named Max Giese who was a scout for the Chicago Steel at the time. Max was reading these um, reports he would type up on this blog, and uh, he he really liked it. He thought not only was it good information, but he loved Dan's delivery. He thought he, he's a really funny guy, but if, if you haven't met Dan, he's a really funny guy. And so he uh, those two connected, and uh, as it turns out, Max ended up getting hired by Winnipeg, and uh, when they needed a Minneapolis scout, uh, you know, Max uh, obviously wanted Dan to, to be the guy. And uh, the Jets were even aware of Dan by that point uh, through Max. So, so yeah, all of a sudden uh, he was sitting in the stands in the 2011 draft as a fan, just watching it by himself there. And seven years later, he's uh, attending it with the uh, Dal- uh, in Dallas with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, kind of a crazy uh <laughs> Uh, route to that. So how often do the Winnipeg Jets turn to him for pointers? Well, so he scouts uh, the last couple of years, it's been about 125 games a year. Uh, like you said, he gets done with his job in the afternoon. He goes home, spends the afternoon with his two young kids and, and his wife. And uh, then at night he'll go to a game. Uh, he, you know, you know, looks, looks over all the Minnesota area scouts or sorry, Minnesota area prospects to, you know, give the Jets a lowdown on that. Uh, and I think it's about once a month the Jets have a conference call with their scouts, but I'm sure they interact more than that. And they're keeping in touch with Dan uh, about who he's seeing, maybe who they want him to see, and, and maybe Dan uh, letting the Jets know who he thinks they should be watching, uh, who who he really likes. And so, uh, by this point in the season, I think they mo- most people know which uh, prospects are the ones to watch, and and Dan is uh, catching up with them whenever he can. I don't know if people even know that most organizations, and I don't know if you know the answer to this in terms of how many scouts they just might have out there, that they really do need to have this network to help them keep an eye on all this different talent, because as Greg mentioned you know, they're not coming here for the weather or for, yeah. you know, for for other things. And so uh, how big is it to have those people? Is there one in every market or how does it work? Well, I, I think it's there's not one in every market. There's, uh, you know, generally in the United States, they call them the three M's. Uh, Michigan, Massachusetts and Minnesota are the three biggest areas where uh, prospects come from. And so I would guess most teams have at least one person in those markets. And and that's something also that's important. You know, this 
the the Minnesota market does have a lot of prospects, and so it's not like he's a part time guy scouting an unimportant area that doesn't produce mm-hmm. prospects. He's scouting an important area. Uh, he was uh, integral in the Winnipeg Jets drafting Dylan Sandberg uh, two years ago. That was his first year with, with the Jets. So uh, he, he has a very important area to scout for them. Uh, I think uh, Craig Heisinger told me they have three guys who are part-time on staff. Uh, the rest of their guys are all full-time, and Dan's one of the, the, the part-time guys, and uh, he said he has the uh, definitely the most interesting day job of, of of anyone. Brad, a fascinating story. Thanks so much for bringing it to our attention. Uh, glad to share it with our listeners and uh, really appreciate your work you do uh, on all sorts of stories. This is a fascinating one. Glad to connect with you as always. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, Brad Schlossman joining us from the Grand Forks Herald. And one interesting story here as well. Like he does these, when he does speak to the Winnipeg Jets. He does it while he's on his route. Mm-hmm. It was at 11 in the morning, so he does it while he's still halfway through his work day. He just mutes his part of the line while he's doing his route until it's his turn to talk. Well, one time he was he caused a backup at the landfill because when he got to the front of the line to dump the trash, it happened to be his turn to speak about <laughs> prospects, so he couldn't get out of the truck to release the back, so he had to hold up the line. And and nobody would buy that excuse. Like, what are you doing, man? Just hang on. I'm just giving my scouting report to the Winnipeg Jets right now. Like, <laughs> sure Give me are. two minutes and I'll be moving along. That's what I think people it resonates with people. And, and just the idea that because he didn't play it doesn't mean you don't know it, right? And you hear that argument all the time. You can be an excellent analyst. You can be an excellent scout. You can even be a coach and not have played a ton of the game. So very cool. Yeah, and the, the guy's work ethic. He's working 50 yes. hours a week as a sanitation and worker. And a dad with two young kids and yeah. then the scouting. Yeah. So cool. That's really a great story. Once again, the man's name is Dan Schrader, a full-time sanitation worker who happens to also work with the Winnipeg Jets when they need draft advice. Jets also, by the way, do have scouts. in. They have a scout in Detroit, and they have one in Boston as well. He mentioned the three M's, mm-hmm. Minnesota, Michigan, and Massachusetts. Yeah, of course, uh, Minnesota, very good to the Jets over the years in terms of their players. Uh, you might have heard of Dustin Bufflin and Blake Wheeler. Captain and assistant captain, very important guys on their team. Michigan as well has uh, been very, very generous to the Winnipeg Jets over the years. Greg, right now we are going to your favorite place on planet Earth. I confess to yucca flux of emotional distress <laughs> and uh, sort of just trying to unravel this whole idea of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh you know, and their history with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders interacting with the Winnipeg Jets at Mosaic Stadium. And that's going to happen October 26th as Regina will host a Heritage Classic game with the Winnipeg Jets as the home team versus the Calgary Flames. And after I settled down, the first person I thought of was this gentleman who joins us on the phone now, Rob Vanstone, Regina Leader Post. And Rob, typically we disagree on all things football, but at least we can agree on the better hockey team, correct? Oh, absolutely. Love the Jets. Um, Approaching my 39th anniversary of my first Jets game, so uh, it's been a while. Well, it's been a while, but I want to read back. I don't like to read back people's work to them, but for our audience, I want to read this 
tweet uh, from you yesterday. I grew up in Regina, and I'm very old. You're not that old. I never thought I would see the Riders play in and win a Grey Cup at Taylor Field, nor did I ever imagine seeing an NHL regular season game in a new stadium in my favorite Berg, and then you, you redeemed yourself. Better yet, J-E-T-S, happy New Year. So this this is a pretty big big deal for Regina. It really is. I mean, it's it's one of those things as I mentioned the tw- in the tweet. You never, I never thought I would see it. It always an NHL game always necessitated a road trip, and there have been many to Winnipeg over the years, more than forty of them. And uh, to have it uh, maybe a ten minute drive away from my home is is kind of cool. It'll be a different type of experience because I'll be. I won't be sitting in the stands. I'll be sitting in a press box, and I, I can't wear my Dale Howard Chuck jersey there. But I'll uh, <laughs> I'll be silently rooting for a certain team. <laughs> so, Rob, you're a fan. I'm curious, what would the fan base be in Regina? Do you think for this game between the Jets and the Flames, will we see more Jets jerseys in the stands? That's an interesting one because once upon a time, I was sort of a, a loner, being a Jets fan in Regina. Even though Winnipeg's the closest was the closest NHL market. I used to get the question all the time, why do you cheer for Winnipeg? That question stopped uh, in 2011 when the Jets came back, and suddenly it became cool to cheer for the Jets, and now they're good, which, which changes things as well. So I don't really have a feel for what kind of market this is. If I had to guess, I still think it's uh, predominantly a, a Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Maple Leafs market. But if you're going to break it down into Jets and uh, Flames, I think it would almost be a saw-off. There might be more Oilers fans in Regina than Jets or Flames fans. Interesting dynamic, though, to have people not only want to cheer for the Jets, but think it's cool to cheer for the Jets, yet these are, a lot of these are maybe the same people who could never even fathom the idea of saying anything positive about Winnipeg, at least in terms of football. Well, I've always loved Winnipeg. Uh, it's, uh, it's an absolutely wonderful city. I've had so many nice nice trips there and I'll never I will never say a bad thing about Winnipeg I'm sure there's some in Saskatchewan who would but not I well the olive branch was extended and um, I know accepted when the when the Jets and the Blackhawks played the day after the Humboldt Broncos tragedy and both teams played not only the the warm-up with Broncos in replacement of their regular name bars, but played the entire game that way. I was fortunate to be at uh, Bell MTS Place for that game. It was very emotional, and you know, I joke all the time about my hatred for Saskatchewan, but really, it, it boils down to jealousy, because you guys are doing so many things better than we do here in Manitoba, and it started to frustrate me, Rob, and uh, one example of that uh, may be, and I haven't been there to confirm this, but some people are try and tell me that your football stadium is better than ours. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that till judgment on October 26th. Yeah, I can't, I have, I have not yet been in the, in the press box investors group field, so I can't, or, or in that stadium period. So I can't really uh, make a comparison, but uh, it, it's a very nice stadium here. It's, it's something uh, I'm not sure what kind of hockey facility it'll be. That'll be interesting to see. They tried to have an outdoor game here last winter featuring uh, the Regina Pats and Moose Jaw Warriors and an alumni game as, as well appended to it. And they ended up having to scrap those plans. So uh, I think it'll be a different type of market for a National Hockey League game, though. I think this is going to, I don't expect tickets to be around very long for this one. Why did those games get scrapped? 
just the, the, the tickets just weren't selling. And the time of year the game was going to be played in February, and I'm sure that wasn't going to uh, um, excite a lot of people, the uh, prospect of frostbite watching a junior hockey game. It just it just didn't fly. And the, and the, the, the fact that it was a junior hockey game didn't – it was still the same cost for putting the game together as far as the mechanics of the of playing in a stadium. So it wasn't a cheap ticket. It was basically an NHL price attached to a junior hockey ticket. Now you're getting an NHL price and you get to see Patrick Line. So should go well. Hey, Rob, I don't know how many bedrooms you have in your house, but uh, <laughs> I went on Expedia this morning to book a couple of hotel rooms, and there are more hotels with sold-out signs on Expedia than have rooms available. So this is already captivating the imagination not only of uh, folks in Regina, but but for those in Calgary, Winnipeg, and, and fans of either team all across North America, I suspect. That's kind of cool. I mean, one of Calgary's... Uh main owner is Murray Edwards. He's a graduate of Campbell Collegiate in Regina. So to have that kind of, uh, to have, have your team playing in your hometown, again, if you're Murray Edwards, who would have thought you'd ever see this? And uh, uh, I'm just, I'm so excited about this. It's just, it's a real landmark thing as a Jets fan. It's, it's cool. They, they've played preseason games here before. Uh, the Jets and other, te- other teams have. Wayne Gretzky played here twice in the NHL preseason in the, uh, in the early '80s, when the St. Louis Blues had their uh, had their training camp here, but uh, I thought coming, I thought Gretzky playing in Regina was the pinnacle. But I'm very pleased to have been mistaken there. Yeah, and these are going to be potentially uh, the two top teams in the Western Conference coming out of this season. So uh, this is not uh, like the old days when the Calgary Flames were were not a respectable franchise and the Winnipeg Jets were in Atlanta. This is a big deal with two quality teams. Rob, uh, thrilled for you and uh, grudgingly thrilled for the city of Regina. Look forward to this event. It'll be fantastic. It should be. I hope to hope to see you out here. And no, I don't have a spare bedroom, but there's lots of lovely park benches here. Your name on them. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Well, you, I think he booked his hotel room, so you definitely will be seeing him. Well, that'll be that'll be cool. I hope uh, I hope we change your opinion of Regina and Saskatchewan. Rob Vanstone, Regina Leader Post. Thank you very much for joining us once again. Mosaic Stadium will play host to the Winnipeg Jets and Calgary Flames October twenty sixth, twenty nineteen, for the Heritage Classic. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.